Welcome back to Wednesday Nights on KLJX LP Flagstaff. It's your sports show, The Double Double, with your co-host Dallas Cooper and Gabriel Dixon. Gabriel, how are you doing today? Not bad, man. Doing really good. It's a good Wednesday afternoon, evening, I should say. Really glad to be here with Tony and you. You already know how it's going. And we have our host, Tony Mealy. Tony, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Glad to be back on the show again. So we have a lot of interesting sports topics to talk about, but we got a lot of NBA news with the first week kicking into action. And we have a lot of surprising things going on in the NBA. So I'm going to kick this to you, Gabe. What is your first kind of surprising team that you've seen throughout the first week of the NBA season? Well, for me, it was pretty obvious. It was going to be the Utah Jazz. As most of your Utah friends have probably been rubbing in your face or showing off that they're not going to be one of the worst teams in the NBA. They started off 3-0. and They did lose their last game to the Utah to the Houston Rockets, but they're playing them right now again, and they're up by 11 in the second quarter with a minute left. So I expect them to probably pull away with this game and even up the series so far with the Houston Rockets, but they've looked really good. You know, this team, I thought a lot of – I think a lot of Colin Sexton, honestly. I think he's a really good player. They got a lot of they got rid of a lot of pieces, but they got they're showing a lot of raw talent right now. Who knows how long it's gonna last? I'm not saying this team's gonna make the playoffs or anything here, in Dallas. But I think this team is exciting to watch so far, and they had no expectations coming into the season. So starting out three and zero, man, that's a that's a big boost at least for your fan base. As you said, this team had no expectations. This is a team we were all joking about on the tank for Victor train, going to be trying to lose every single game. But credit to Colin Sexton and company. They've done a great job absolutely scoring lights out. And Utah's come out and shown that they're not a pushover. This isn't a team trying to lose every game on purpose or do none of that funny stuff. They're out here trying to win, and they're going to compete every night. But how about you, Tony? What was kind of your su- first surprise of the NBA season so far? My first surprise of the week has got to be the Portland Trail Blazers starting off 4-0. They've got wins over the Kings, the Suns, Lakers, and Nuggets. Their next game, they got to play the Heat, which also is a little bit of a underwhelming team so far in the season due to injuries. So, I mean, right now I think the Trail Blazers, with all the pieces they got uh, through trades, and they signed Gary Payton II, who played really well for the Warriors last year. So, I mean, I think they are really off to a good start. GP2 was a huge piece in their championship run last year. Plays really feisty defense. Just a kind of a player you need on, on the bench to support the stars you have. Damian Lillard out the gate, 33 points per game. Dame showing he's still got a lot left in the tank for Portland. And Anthony Simmons, they took a gamble last year trading away C.J. McCollum, Gabe. And... Simmons has come out this year with 20 points per game. Is Simmons the kind of Robin, per se, for Damian Lillard? I think when you're looking for a second scorer on those teams, you know, I'm very impressed with Anthony Simmons. This kid kind of came out of nowhere for me personally last season. But he's looked really good so far. And this Portland Trailblazers team wouldn't be the same without him. They also have Jeremy Grant as another addition they had this last offseason who I think has been playing pretty well. Uh, Yosef Nurkic looks looks pretty decent, you know, kind of looking back to his, his form before he got injured a couple years ago. 
So the team's looking pretty primed. Damian Lillard, you know, having back-to-back 41-point games. It's always exciting when Dane time is, is actually happening. We'll see. I'm never... I'm always skeptical, though, about the Portland Trailblazers, you know? I don't know how good this team could actually be. They only have really one real star on the team, and, and Free Simmons is, is getting close. But he's not even up to the same level as what I think C.J. McCollum was when he was with the Portland Tra- Trailblazers. So it's going to be an interesting situation to see how far Damon Lillard and a lot of these other additions can go on this team. I'm probably... I don't even know because the West is so deep. Uh, do you even put them in the playoffs at this point, Dallas? I'm not sure. the The West seems kind of tough. Even those those playing teams at the bottom, they're fighting for spots. And there's teams like the Kings could be a lot better this year than we expect. Then there's also teams even like as we said, the Pelicans out there. They're going to be a middle of the middle of the pack team, kind of like four five seed they could be even up to a three seed for all we know there's a lot of teams gonna make the jump this year so there might not be room for Portland in the playoffs this year or even in the play-in for that matter but for me going to another west western conference team the San Antonio Spurs another team that was on prime for the Victor Wembayama tank and Greg Popovich has had them come out and they're playing decent the Spurs, Keldon Johnson's averaging over 20 points per game, shooting around 40% from three. I think it's around 37%. Damian Vassell, Josh Primo is out with a glute injury, and Damian Vassell has knee soreness. But Damian Vassell showed, as a rookie, he's already putting up around 17 points per game. And they just beat they just beat the Golden State Warriors, and right now they're going, they're, are, they're going in a game right now against the Timberwolves. And I was watching it earlier, and this is a team that looks very connected, even though two of their top three players are out. Jakob Pertl, another key piece, I think would be, we're going to be talking about a lot more around the trade deadline. He could be going to a contender. But Gabe, what was your second team of the week for a surprise? Before I get to my second team, let me comment on your San Antonio Spurs pick. I think that the San Antonio Spurs, you know, this team has always just had talent come out of nowhere. Vassell, Keldon Johnson, you know, I've heard of these guys a little bit, but they're really stepping up this year, and they're handling themselves and showing that they, they deserve to be in the NBA and even starting pieces on a lot of these teams. The San Antonio Spurs, though, I don't know if they're going to do anything oh, yeah. beyond what we're seeing right now. And hopefully they can be an above 500 team. I love Greg Popovich. But they don't really have too much talent on that team. Oh, absolutely not. Jakob Hodel, you mentioned. I picked him up in fantasy just because I know he does a lot for that team, you know. But he was, like, my last pick. No one else on that team, too, I would have I would have drafted. And this is just for people that are in fantasy circles. Nothing really this, special. Yeah, there's just a lot yeah. of – yeah, nothing too special, especially when it comes to a lot of team aspects. Numbers don't count a lot of times. And that's – essentially what the San Antonio Spurs are, you know, their most team-oriented basketball team that there is. Um, Not one individual matters more than the other, so it's good to see that they're doing something. Greg Popovich, hope to see you back in the playoffs one day, man. But back to my second team, I'm going to have to go with the Washington Wizards. The Washington Wizards, 
have looked pretty good so far. I didn't think this team was going to be good at all, though. And that might have just been me sliding this team and not really looking too deep into what they have. But they're looking pretty pretty solid. You know, Brad Bradley Beal doing his thing. What the person I'm most impressed with is Chris Porzingis so far. This guy's kind of been popping off in the first week that we've seen in NBA basketball. His three-pointer has been looking good. He's looking athletic, looking mobile, looking like that defensive guy, too, that we saw in New York. So with him as the number two, really, with Bradley Beal, or who knows how, how good Chris Tass can be, I think this team is pretty dangerous in the Eastern Conference, honestly. I think that they'll have a chance of making the playoffs and maybe even upsetting somebody. Definitely. Kristaps is a five that is shooting right now 40% from three on five attempts a game. He's scoring 16 points. And what's really interesting is throughout the first week, Bradley Beal hasn't even been their top scorer. Kyle Kuzma is averaging 21 points per game for them on hyper-efficiency. Kuzma's been their leading scorer. Although Bradley Beal's been the main target for defenses to stop, Kuzma stepped up absolutely and has done a great job this first week, kind of easing the load for Bradley Beal. But how about you, Tony? What was your kind of second surprise of the week so far for the NBA season? My second surprise of the week has got to be the Philadelphia 76ers. They are starting off the season. The biggest thing is, and we won't even talk about their record right now, the biggest thing for them is the expectations they had going into the season. You have two of the bigger names in basketball. You got James Harden, you got Joel Embiid. You got a few veteran pieces with you. You got a young guard and Tyrese Maxey. And you're just playing very underwhelming right now. It's kind of tough for them. Tough start. They've got, so far, they got losses to, they just had a game tonight, actually, and lost to the Raptors. They, it just seemed very tough. They had a very close game uh, with the Bucks, And that's right now. It's just kind of, they're off to a slow start. I mean, they have the potential to pick it up, but they have the right pieces to do so. So it's just kind of a tough start. I think that the 76ers look terrible so far, and they should. The game plan that they're putting forth for this team looks terrible. I think that the one good thing that you can say so far is James Harden does look better than what we, seen, than we saw last season. And most people will probably agree with you with that. But the game plan that Doc Rivers is putting forth for the Sixers team, I just think it's horrendous at the end of the day. You're having this man, James Harden, act like he's back in Houston when there's someone clearly on the team that's a better number one option for you to go to at this point in time. At least someone that is deservingly supposed to be that, that high in your mind. So why not have a, a game plan centered around, around Joel Embiid? I don't see no pick-and-roll actions. I don't see no setups in the post as often. And when they do, Joel usually gets double-teamed sometimes and he has no idea what to do with the Rock. I just don't think they're, that they're really setting him up that well for success. Joel can also play outside and inside, so it shouldn't be too hard to get him open at his own spots. Create, create a little bit more flow to the offense than just having James come down and dribble the ball more than anyone else on his team combined and then just take a step-back three, which... We all know he, he's a volume shooter, at least in my opinion. He ain't no Steph Curry. I don't want him out there taking all those shots. What do you think about that, Dallas? I think, I think James has kind of developed a little bit. In, he's, I think he's realized he can't play that 
rocket style he used to where he didn't use the mid-range. And he's been really effective so far using the mid-range so far this season. It's kind of a, bringing back an element that he used to have back in 2015 and prior. That was a huge element to his game that he literally took out because he just chose to. So it's nice to see that back. And his burst seems somewhat back. A lot better than what it looked like in his Brooklyn days. And still, Doc Rivers... I don't, I don't know about y'all, but at this point, Doc got to go. They've had too many chances, too many talented teams for this team to underachieve this many times. They have Tyrese Maxey as one of your weaker, or not weaker, but your lower options. Tobias Harris is your fourth option on the team. Most teams would love to have that. And they ain't doing nothing with him. They also got veteran presence there that they're not using either. They got a bunch of veteran presences yeah. they're not using. They, all, they have P.J. Tucker. I forget who else they have, but P.J. Tucker. Tucker's there. That's a good two-way player right there. Two ways. They've been there. All these players have been with Maury before on the Rockets. I, I love – yeah, I think they have Daniel House there even now. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they got Tobias Harris, Matisse Thibel, I think is – one of the better oh, defensive specialists in the league, you know. He needs to learn how to do do something on the other end, though. Yeah, because he's, he's gonna when be, you're that when you're that. He's I gonna know, be he, Roberson. He's gonna definitely. turn into Andre Roberson soon. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. But for a lot of teams, especially when you have two superstar scores, you can afford to have someone at least that's not that good out there on the offensive end. Especially when you have a pick and roll action like like they have. It's gonna have at least. Let whoever is guarding Matisse Thybul to collapse down and have that third defender, which will be a problem come playoff time, time sometimes. Yeah, but yeah. Time, yeah. you're not going to play him more than 15 minutes probably, you know, for a game just to give give someone a little bit of rest and clamp 20 minutes maybe just to clamp another person on the other end for a little bit of time. But then you also, like you said, Tyrese Maxey is not a no slouch on defense. I don't think James is that bad either. At the end of the day, he's proven he's, he's, he's proven he can he can do some things. Claims around. Yeah. Tobias will get will get worked. He'll he'll actually get worked at yeah. the end of the day. He's not that good defensively. No. And then PJ Tucker, we all know what that man brings, though. They also oh, got Montrez Harrell. Yeah, they got Montrez coming off and Joel. Montrez hasn't looked good though. You got PJ and Joel. Ooh, Ooh yeah. That's dangerous when it comes down to it at the end of the day, man. You notice a lot about these names that we've said. They're all veterans. This team isn't a team that has a lot of time. They need to get this together. It's not like they're going to be running this back next year with the exact same roster. There's no way they are. It's either now or it's not going to happen. It's now or never for the Sixers. Yeah, I think that's that's a very important point to make, that the Philadelphia 76ers definitely are a good team. They're kind of young. James is getting kind of old, though. Joel, you have time to build around, but this whole organization could blow up after this season if we don't see it go right. Yep, absolutely. But that's it for our first segment of the show. We'll be back talking about another team that, well, for some people, has been kind of having a surprising slow start. And for some people, they've been proven right. With the Lakers, is this really their downfall? Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to Double Double on KLJX LP and Flagstaff. I'm Gabriel Dixon, joined by my co-host Dallas Cooper. We got Tony. Tony, how you doing? Good, how are you? Not bad. We're ready to talk about the Los Angeles Lakers. Man, it's a bad time to be a Los Angeles Lakers fan. 
to be part of that fan base and a part of that team, I can only imagine. Russell Westbrook catching a lot of the heat, but Rob Polinka also. A lot of people are calling for his job. LeBron James, a lot of people calling for him to step up. This team's looking terrible so far, Dallas. What is your assessment of this team, and do you think that they can make it back from this, this deficit that we've seen them um, already in in the first week? Blow it up. Why are they afraid to trade that 2020, what is that, 2020, like, Four? No, it's like super late. Twenty twenty-seven. Why are you afraid to trade that pick? I don't. Like, who cares? You have LeBron and Anthony Davis on your team. Want me to tell you why? Why? Because they know LeBron's gone in the next two years, most likely. Yeah. Even so. So at that point, they're gonna be in rebuild mode it's with no first-round picks. Nope. What's the difference? You either gonna be trash now, <laughs> either gonna be trash now, and then trash later. Or you can try and at least try and be something now and give it all up. You you got one of the best players in the world. I mean, I don't I don't know if I think he's still one of the best, LeBron. I I mean I don't know if that's like you guys agree, but I still think he's one of the best players in the world. I do. I can agree with that. And Anthony Davis, as Charles Barkley says, day to day Davis, and <laughs> street clothes Davis. Street clothes all, Davis. I like all done. All AD. done. <laughs> all, all done. <laughs> like he need to figure out how to not fall as much. It's just scary. He has a out for season injury every three days. It's not good. They need to somehow figure out how to ease the load for both of them. It's not like they don't have the answers. They aren't Ru- as young as they used to be. And Russell Westbrook is not the biggest problem for them. I'm tired of hearing that. He's not the biggest problem for them. Tony, what's your assessment of this team? I think the biggest thing is for the Lakers, the Russ slander needs to stop. They're putting all the blame on one guy. It is terrible. And one of the biggest things, this team just likes to chuck up threes. They have the worst three-point shooting percentage in the league at 21.2%. And it's not even close. I'll bring Russ back into this. Russ is shooting 8.2% from the three-point line. And then there's LeBron, who's throwing up nine threes a game. Oof. And this is close to this is Steph Curry numbers almost. Ew. I was comparing the, staff, the st- uh, stats. Curry's only throwing up 11, but he's making five or six of them a game. And then there's Braun, who's making less than three. Man, that's disgusting. 8% wow. a game just, from Russell. Over just, 6 against the Clippers. Oh, yes. It's not that Russ doesn't fit there. I think the whole team as a whole is an issue. Russ is a little bit of a scheme issue for them because you have three guys there that want to control the ball during the game and can take over games. Anthony Davis can take over a game. LeBron can come down and do whatever he really wants during a game. And it's just all these guys want to control the court. I think they need to spread this talent around. Russ needs to come off the bench. Start Beverly, for all I care. Start Beverly. That's end of story there. It's just Lakers need to do something about players trying to take over games when it's not necessary. All right. Well, the Lakers definitely don't look good at this point in time, but we're going to move on to our next segment. It's going to be our way-too-early award predictions for the NBA. Let me go to you real quick with this one, Dallas. Who's your MVP for this season? Ooh, I got that boy, Luka Doncic. You all know that boy is cold. He is top five in the league right now, and he is going to be MVP, predicting over 30 points per game, eight rebounds, and 10 assists a game. And he's going to lead the Mavericks to – I might be a little higher on the Mavericks than most people, but I'm thinking to at least a five seed. I think the Mavericks will be a lot better than most people think. That's a very interesting situation. Very interesting take. Uh, I love Luca. 
We'll see how good his team is around him. He'll definitely have a chance to shine this year. Tony, let me go to you. Who's your MVP? My MV way too early take for MVP has got to be John Morant. I think he's taking over this team. He's taking over the Grizzlies the past few years. I believe they went into the play-in and they made the playoffs last year, right? They went to the playoffs last year. He is controlling this team. He has turned into the leader of this team over these past few seasons very quickly and is being he's a very mature player already. The biggest thing for Jaw is him not to get hurt on these scary dunks and scary landings, and that is the biggest thing, and I think Jaw is going to be here to take over the league. John Moran's definitely looking really good with that Memphis Grizzlies team. Hitting that gritty all the time, you already know. Really showing what he's about these past couple of years. Really good from three, explosive like Russell Westbrook. And on defense, he's looked really good too, uh, at least in my opinion, the past year. So I think that's definitely a good pick, but I'm going to have to go with my boy Nikola Jokic to close out the three-time MVP, you already know. Hasn't been done in a long time. Probably will never happen again. My boy Nikola is going to be the one of the only people to ever do this, you already know. This man can do it all, and with the numbers that he puts up, it's just too hard to say no at the end of the day. This man will probably end the year with 28, 14, and 8. What you going to say to that? That's a, that's a hot take. Yeah, it, it's definitely, it'll be something to be seen if he does do it. You know, his name will go down in history forever. It already is, but he'll be mentioned definitely probably top 10 at that point in, in all time, at least in my opinion. We'll see about that. But let's move on to the Rookie of the Year category, Rookie of the Year. I'm going to have Keegan Murray for this one. You already know, Keegan Murray playing for the Sacramento Kings. I think he's going to come out, really show what he's made alongside of DeAndre Fox. I think he'll be the main scorer on that team by the end of the year, honestly. I think he showed what he was about in college and in the summer league, and he's ready for the NBA. What about you, Dallas? Who's your Rookie of the Year? Oh, Paolo Bonchero. Paolo, easily. Paolo, can, he's already shown that he's dominating the league. I don't think people realize this he's the same exact height as Dwight Howard Dwight Howard and him are measured in at the same height that's insane and Powell's already shown three-point shot there mid-range he's already shown that like an experienced vet post game anything you want let me go to you Tony who's your rookie of the year I got the same one as Dallas I think Powell's gonna do the same he really summed it up really nicely he is taking over this league really quickly and showing what a dominant force he can be in the future. And then let's go to DPOI, Defensive Player of the Year. I'm personally going to have my boy Giannis Antetokounmpo, the man from Milwaukee, originally from Greece. I think he's going to bring home the trophy again, Defensive Player of the Year, show how, how dynamic of a player he is, especially when someone like Chris Middleton's down for a little bit. They're going to need him a little bit more on that wing defender help. So I think Giannis is going to come home with that trophy. What about you, Dallas? Who's your rookie? Or not rookie, sorry, defensive player. My defensive player of the year, unprecedented run that's never been done before. I got Rudy Gobert. Man, is seven. I don't got to say much. He's seven foot whatever he is. I don't even know how tall he is. Seven one, seven two, seven three, whatever. Stifle Tower. The Stifle Tower has been rejecting shots at an absolutely insane rate for the last five, six years. And I don't think he's stopping anytime soon. Man, I definitely disagree with that one. But let me just go to you at this, Tony. We ain't got too much time left in this segment. My defensive player of the year pick has got to be Jaron Jackson Jr. He has been taking over the league so far. Another Memphis guy. He's come in, and he's just 
on defense, he is a defensive just freak. He's putting up more than one and a half blocks so far over his whole few years in the league, and he's averaging, I think, a steal almost also over his career. So, I mean, with that team, I think he can get it done. Yeah, he's averaging 2.3 blocks so far this season and .9 in steals, so really high numbers. I think his his rebounds are always so ridiculous to me. This is a 7-footer. He's a freak athlete, too. Yeah, I guess he's 6'10", 6'11", or something. That's only averaging like five rebounds a game, six rebounds. They always have him out in the three, understand that. Big Stevie. But come defensive time, yeah. where are you at? Big Stevie in the middle, that's why. Yeah, yeah, he, he's, he can't really do too much. Took a bit less of a role when they got Steven Adams. Yeah. Big, big Stevie is, is definitely well, a big reason. The only thing about Jaron Jackson is, is his foul rate. He just, that, he yeah. fouls a lot. Yes. Hey, man, playing physical is, is a big thing at the end of the day, though. But that's going to have to do it for us for the NBA segment. Tony, thank you for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. You already know. We'll be back in a couple of minutes to be talking some NBA. Y'all stay tuned. Welcome back on KOJX LP Flagstaff. It's your Wednesday night double-double sports radio show. And we're back talking about NFL football. We had a little bit of NBA talk to begin, but now we're back to Mr. 40, whatever he is at this point, Tom Brady. <laughs> Mr. I chose to play in the season over staying at home. How has that gone so far, Gabe? Well, I think that Tom Brady, you know, people like him think different at the end of the day. And you can clearly tell he's addicted to the game of football. His team looks pretty terrible, though, right now, at this point in time. They're 3-4. and four. It could be worse, I would say, but it definitely could be better. A lot of games that slipped through their hands. Barely lost that game to the Packers at home. They lost to the Steelers. Hey, man, you, you have losses like that. You, things are really going bad. They lose to the Panthers after that? Only put up three points? That's when you start hitting panic button mode. Tom Brady and in all his greatness, I'm starting to see a little bit of slippage, honestly. He doesn't look like the same greatness and he hasn't really like been that prime Tom Brady obviously for a while now but starting to look different at this point in time in my opinion and that defense honestly doesn't look as good as it has in years past as well so if I'm a Tampa Bay fan I'm worried but if anyone's going to pull it around at least for this last season I think I got some faith in Tom well let me kick this over to our radio guest right now Najee how do you feel about the Buccaneers season so far? I feel that so far this season, they've like really gone off to like a slow start. And I think, you know, like all good teams, they all like get to like this start where, you know, they lose games that they're supposed to win. And I feel that this is just like a slow start to the season. Tom Brady, you know, he has shown signs of getting older and father time is really passing him by, you know, father time is really catching up to him like all great players and I think uh you know they've had like their fair share of you know chemistry problems and you know injury issues uh Ryan Jensen their center is out and you know he could like be out for probably a couple of weeks so I say that you know maybe uh this is just like a sign of you know things you know not gelling well right now but I feel confident that later in the season they're going to get things together and they're going to, you know, pull it together as long as, you know, 
they establish like chemistry and you know they have Tom Brady you know he's like the greatest quarterback of all time so I have confidence that they're gonna you know get it together and make the playoffs I agree with you <laughs> I couldn't I'm, agree more I'm right there with you they you got Tom Brady at the end of the day I got faith in him he's gonna write the ship they have a little bit their O-line is slipping up a little bit and there's been a couple injuries along that offensive line, and Brady puts a lot of pressure on his offensive line, especially with the Buccaneers trying to attack downfield with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. But it hasn't been the same this year, and there's been a lot of struggles. As you said, putting up three points against the Panthers is inexcusable. You cannot be doing that. Very, very disappointing. And I think he's kind of looked embarrassing sometimes, too. You've been seeing these videos coming out of him on the sideline, like yelling at, the O-line, like it's their fault. I mean, the O-line hasn't looked great. Like you mentioned, Ryan Jensen's down. They've had other injuries on the O-line, too. They've been dealing with since the beginning of the season. And for all that, they're still 3-4. and four. Chris Godwin out for a little bit. Mike Evans, still him. You know, they still have really good pieces around the board. So if I have to bid on them at the end of the day, I'm going to. And in that terrible division, I think it's going to be pretty easy for them to find a road a road back to the playoffs this year honestly and now they're facing a pretty good opponent tomorrow night the Baltimore Ravens Baltimore Ravens defense I think picked it up a little bit this last week compared to weeks before so I think it's going to be kind of a a really tough game for this Tom Brady led offense and I think that the defense is going to have something they're definitely going to have to do something about Lamar Jackson and that offense because we all know what Lamar can do to any, and on any given day, especially in primetime football, that boy's ready to go. What do you think, Dallas? Who do you think is going to come away with that win tomorrow? I actually got the Bucks coming out with the win. Lamar, he's been doing Lamar things. He's playing great this year, but the pieces around him haven't been performing to the standard they need to be. Offensive line isn't as good as it used to be. Your wide receiving core still ain't really that trustworthy. You don't got really a, a star talent. Mark Andrews is still your number one option, and it's that's not the same. It's still a tight end at the end of the day. And the Bucks don't really have to worry as much as about these wide receivers. You can focus in on the Ravens' run game, and it's a lot harder to run when there's a 350-pound man in the middle by Vita Vea over there, and I don't think he's going to let them buy that easily. Yeah, and they have really good linebackers, too, at the end of the day. I love me some Devin White, Levante, David, Jason Pierre-Paul still on the team, right? Pretty sure, yep. You got Shaq Barrett. Man, those linebackers are deadly back there. So they'll definitely be able to at least slow down the run game. They're really good east to west, too. So they should be able to stay with the speed of, of someone like Lamar at least a little bit. It's going to be a really good game. What do you think about this, Najee? Uh... I think it's going to be a close game, but I ultimately have the Bucks coming out on top because, just as you mentioned, they have the linebackers to keep up with Lamar and slow him down. Because you know how the dynamic Lamar is. Like, he could, like, Duke, he could, you know, rush for, like, long touchdown runs. We, we all know what Lamar is capable of. And, you know, their running game is good, too, with uh, J.K. Dobbins and, you know, how we know how their defense is with Patrick Queen and, uh, Marcus Peters and Calais Campbell. I don't think he's playing uh, tomorrow night, but I think the Buccaneers, I think they have, like, the defense as well as, you know, the offense to, you know, counteract the Ravens' defense and 
No, keep Lamar in check. Really good analysis, honestly. I think that the Baltimore Ravens, for all the talent that they have, they haven't really lived up to it too much. I think that this last game that they played, they looked better. Saw Ed Reed and Ray Lewis there, too, to hype them up. They probably went in that locker room what those boys know. Better step up this play going forward because we all know that the man on the other side of the ball is doing his thing. Mm -hmm. You need to give him that support. So it's, I'm going to have to pick the Baltimore Ravens, honestly. I can't – it's going to be hard. I never bet against Tom Brady, really, but this is a different type of year. This is a different Tom, really. And the Baltimore Ravens just look like a pretty hard physical team to stop. If anyone can do it, though, I think that Todd Bowles led defense head coach – I think he's ready. I think he'll probably put a good game plan around it. But if I put my money on it right now, I'm going with the Baltimore Ravens. Mm. And then we're going to go to something very special near and dear to Dallas's heart, Dallas Cooper. <laughs> Number one in the NFC West. No one, no one in this world would have bet on this besides the man sitting right next to me. His name is Dallas Cooper. Seattle Seahawks are 4-3, and three, beating teams out like the Los Angeles Rams defending champs, Arizona Cardinals. Please explain this to me, Dallas. How is this, how is this possible? And is it a fluke or is it the truth? Depends. I think this depends on what your definition is. This is the truth to me. They're playing exactly as I expected. Am I saying this is they're going to keep the number one spot throughout the year? I don't know about that. The 49ers are still a great team. The Rams are defending Super Bowl champs. But look at the division. Every other team in the NFC West mortgaged away their future to win right now. Traded away draft picks. Everything of their future to win right now. The Seahawks are the only team that traded away people to get draft picks and are still sitting on top right now. This is nothing short of Pete Carroll just doing what he's always done. He did this at USC when they had Carson Palmer, Reggie Bush. What happened when he left? Ooh, Matt Liner all of a sudden stepped up. He's always had just quarterbacks after quarterbacks coming in. And Pete Carroll's never put pressure on the quarterback. But Geno Smith has come in and played absolutely great. Number one in completion percentage on the season – 10 points better than any other quarterback in passer rating and quarterback rating. And the Seahawks have been winning this year with the worst penalties on the year. They're literally the most penalized team on the year so far. So how is this not a fluke then, Dallas? They're, they're, no, they're getting the most penalties against them. Oh, okay. okay. They, have 49, they have 49 penalties against them compared to 35 going like against the other teams that they're against. And that's the most in the NFL differential so far in the season. The defense since week four has been 11th in efficiency per play. And you want to say, oh, maybe Geno, you're thinking this is maybe a play-action quarterback. They're hiding him. He's seventh overall right now in pure drop-back passing. And this is excluding screen passes and passes within five yards. This is strict downfield passing. Geno's come in literally at 32 years old, all of a sudden become a top 10 quarterback in this league. Nothing flukish about it, though, huh? He's playing it. He's shown the <laughs> tape. He's always had the talent. Look at the Jets tape. 
Even the Jets tape, he's always had the talent. His rookie year, he led the Jets team to, what, eight wins? And that Jets team was not good. The only reason he didn't start was because he got knocked out by, by Brandon Marshall in 2014. Before I go and speak on this matter, I've said Dallas. Najee, what do you have to say about the Seattle Seahawks? Um, I, I think this is a fluke. And the reason why, because, you know, I respect everything that the Seahawks have done this season. I think Geno Smith, I think he's really proved a lot of people wrong. I think actually he should be considered like one of the leading candidates for comeback player of the year. Because considering that this guy hasn't been like a regular NFL starter since 2014, his rookie year with the Jets, it's amazing how he's been able to come in, especially, you know, in, you know, this situation and play as well as he's had, you know? And, and you know, like Dallas said, you know, he's leading the NFL in completion percentage with 76.4% of his completions, you know, being... That's seen. ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah, and I think it's very impressive. And, you know, I also have to give credit to the running game. Uh, Kenneth Walker, he had 168 rushing yards and two touchdowns. That's that's really good numbers, you know, especially for, you know, a first-round rookie. So Like 23 carries, it, it wasn't too crazy. Yeah, yeah so I think uh, the Seahawks, they're really outperforming people's expectations. And I can see, you know, a world where they do make the playoffs. But I think this division is, like, just too talented for the Seahawks to, you know, make the playoffs, you know. And the Rams 49ers, they're still, like, figuring things out in terms of how they're going to, uh, you know, bounce back from their slow starts. But, you know, I do have confidence in the Seahawks' future. I just think, you know, this season, I think it's going to be, you know, a fluky type year. But There's a little bias behind those words, maybe, <laughs> Najee. I know you're a 49ers fan, but I'm going to have to go somewhere right in the middle right there. Yeah. I think it's a little bit flukish in the sense that, and you even said it yourself, I don't know if they're going to be the number one seed in the NFC West the entire year. They might be, depending on how bad these other teams look, honestly, because a lot of these other teams in the NFC West have been looking pretty bad. But the 49ers are a team I would definitely would look out for. You can never really put the Los Angeles Rams too much out of, out of the rear view. But this is definitely credit to Pete Carroll and his genius especially on the offensive side of the ball, putting these players in great positions. And like you said, they didn't bet on their future now three years ago. They did it the right way in terms of how you're supposed to do it in football a lot of the times, unless you're a couple pieces away and you, need, you just need that actual hump. Los Angeles Rams are an exception for that. That was a team we saw go in as hard as you ever could and they did get a, a Super Bowl out of it but it's not looking too great right now at this point in time and they've always had decent talent Aaron Donald's always been on that team and other great pieces but with this Seattle Seahawks team they took their time they have great pieces still right now in, in DK Metcalf Tyler Lockett O-line's been surprisingly a lot better than in years past in my opinion Kenneth Walker looks pretty good still had Rashad Penny so when he comes back Gonna have de some decent running backs. He's, I think he's unfortunately out for the, he's out for the year. I'm just saying, like when he comes oh, back in the future, yeah. yeah, in the future they'll have a solid running back committee. The defense, surprised. Did you mention Tariq Woolen? Did you mention him? Oh, I didn't. I, I didn't mention him specifically. But yeah, he's team. a great draft pick this this year for you guys. One of the better corners definitely five coming starters out from this draft class. The Seahawks have five starters from this draft class. You guys have 
well, I shouldn't say you guys. Seattle Seahawks have looked really good. I think that this team, more than anything else, is game planned right. And that's why we're seeing the success that we have seen from them. But I could easily see this team finish 8-9. and I, I would agree. I, I could definitely see that. But before the season, when you were asked that... Oh, we, I would have said exactly. four or three wins. You pull up some tape. When I was on Sean, Sean Clark and Evan McNeil's podcast in the summer, I predicted this team was going to win nine wins. And I, they laughed. <laughs> they laughed at me. And I would look that crazy when I said Geno Smith would be a better version of Jared Goff. And I predicted that in the summer. And he's shown exactly that. And the team is, is, is built well. It's you built know, exactly well. It's built yep. well. The de- it seems like a lot like last year, and, and I think in a lot of people's heads, there was a lot missing. I think there was only a couple pieces wrong, honestly, last year. And I think that one of the people we'll probably get to in a later segment, Russell Wilson, I think that there's, there maybe was some issues going down maybe with team him and Pete Carroll. And, you know, it kind of just seemed like there was always something in the fallout of the Legion of Boom with that, with that team. And that maybe they're starting to finally get over it and Pete Carroll is finally starting to get a real grasp on his, on his NFL team again. But that's going to have to do it for this first segment of the NFL. We'll be back to be talking about the Packers. Are they really done for this season? They're on a three-game losing streak. Or can Rodgers turn them around? Then we'll also be talking about the Denver Broncos. Not looking too hot as well. Stay tuned. Welcome back to KLJX LP Flagstaff. And we're back after a little Seahawk talk. I was a little hurt by some of y'all. What some of y'all said. Some thinking they're a little <laughs> fake team, you know. But I think they'll prove you guys wrong. But we have to come back. And we got another older quarterback in Aaron Rodgers who's been playing not as expected as the former MVP that we all know is one of the best of all time. And this Packers, like, whole team is look susceptible without Devontae Adams in company. I'm going to go to you, Dajay. What is the problem with the Packers so far this season? Um, so I think there's three people to uh, blame for the Packers' uh, early season struggles. First, I think it's Matt LaFleur. Matt LaFleur uh, the Packers head coach. Le Fleur. <laughs> Le Fleur. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's um, Matt LeFleur, uh because I think, you know, he needs to simplify the offense a little bit better for, you know, everyone. And I think uh, he needs to, you know, emphasize the running game more because, you know, teams can only, like, go so far, you know, and – I think it's up to the head coach to implement like a scheme that would benefit everyone. And this is going back to Sunday. Uh, I noticed how, you know, their first like two touchdowns came from Aaron Jones himself, you know, and I feel that, you know, they need to, you know, get Aaron Jones and agent and AJ Dillon more involved because Aaron Rodgers, he can't just continuously like run for his life, you know, because his offensive line can't hold up against, defenses such as the Commanders and the Jets at all teams. So I felt that they need to do a better job at, you know, protecting Aaron Rodgers and improving the pass defense. Now, the run defense is good. The pass defense, they need to improve it. And the second person that I want to blame is Aaron Rodgers. And I feel that, you know, Aaron Rodgers throwing his teams under the bus, like throwing, like, 
Romeo Dubs and Christian Watson under the bus isn't like a smart move, you know? Like franchise quarterbacks, they don't do that. They, you know, uplift their teammates. They want to, you know, ask their teammates how they, you know, want to. He might do it to his face, but definitely not to the media. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, so he wants to, you know, he, uh, he needs to, you know, do like something like, hey, oh, hey, Romeo Dobbs, I want you to, you know, be better at this or run this route instead of, you know, just saying to the media, oh, uh, I don't like how they're playing, you know? And um, I think, you know, he did himself a disservice by not, you know, attending OTAs, you know, this past offseason, you know? Because, yeah, he didn't have Devontae Adams, and, yeah, he didn't have Marquez Valdez-Scantlin, but if he really wants to, you know, build chemistry with his teammates, then I think he should have, you know, attended OTAs, and he should have, you know, built chemistry with his teammates, Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson, because they're rookies, so what do you expect them to do? And the third, you know, issue, the third, you know, the third part of the team that I have to blame is the offensive line because I think that, you know, offense the offensive line is probably the most important part of a team if you want your quarterback to be successful. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers, you know, all throughout the season he's been running for his life because, you know, his offensive line hasn't been able to hold up against, you know, the defenses that the Packers have been playing against. And I could, you know, recall like many times where Aaron Rodgers was scrambling, you know, throughout the pocket, you know, just trying to find like an open teammate uh, throughout that Commanders game, and he couldn't really do that. So they, they need to uh, fix their offensive line, and they need to, you know, address, you know, the receiver position. Like they, they need to do something. It's going to be a lot. The one thing I have to say, Dallas, is that something's happening internally with that team, and it has been for a couple of years now. It was a pretty gruesome last offseason, or at least coming into the offseason, you know, wondering whether or not he's going to stay or not. Comes back. But things don't look too right right now. There's complications with the offensive scheme. You heard Aaron Rodgers talking in the media saying, we need to make things more simpler. Then they asked Lafleur, Matt Lafleur, Matt Lafleur, what he thought about it, about Aaron Rodgers' comments about making it simpler, and he just said, I have no idea what that means. Well, yeah, like when you mentioned Dallas said, I don't know if he said it to you guys, I'm drawing a blank. When you throw over 70% of your target share to Devontae Adams the year before, you're definitely going to have to change the offensive some, and you want to simplify it because there obviously is not as great talent on the board, and I can see where Aaron Rodgers is coming from at that point. I think this team still has a chance, though. When you have someone as great as Aaron Rodgers, the NFC North is not a great division either. The only other team they really have to worry about is the Minnesota Vikings. Aaron Rodgers, fortunately, still owns the Chicago Bears. He should have just came to the Chicago Bears and solved our quarterback problem. All things would have been nice and solved. But the Green Bay Packers still have a chance this year to make the playoffs, in my opinion. I don't think that they're going to go anywhere far in the playoffs. I think those, those chances are out the window, gone. See ya. You know, They definitely don't have the talent... And even on the defensive side, they've shown a little bit of slippage. Jared Alexander's still that guy. And you still have, um, why am I forgetting Smith? Preston Smith. Rashawn Gary. Kenny Clark. 
still some some pretty solid solid players around, you know. So there is time for that team to turn it around. We're at looking like we're at the halfway mid midpoint of the season. But you got to start showing it right now at point in time, you know. If you're the Green Bay Packers, Dallas. It has not looked pretty. This offense needs to be fixed. As a first off as a QB for Aaron Rodgers, you're supposed to, as Najee said, uplift your teammates. We've seen MVP quarterbacks countless of times make their teammates better. They're playing. They make their teammates play up to the standard. They bring them up to a standard. You don't ridicule them and tear their confidence, and then he's gonna mess up even more thinking about it now. That's not a recipe for success as a leader, for the quarterback especially. You're looked at differently, and again, not showing up for OTAs definitely had a huge part in that you're you're not building that chemistry with these rookies you know they're gonna make mistakes you need every single rep you can get to iron everything out you need to the reason Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers were so good was because each of them knew exactly what each other was thinking no matter what coverage was ran so they knew exactly what spot at what timing to get to and the that's why it looked so easy it looked like pitch and catch Mm -hmm. because to them it really was that easy it's not hard to really think about it. Really talented receiver with a really talented quarterback. You don't have the talented receiver. Now the old line is not as good. The talented quarterback is not going to be as good anymore. The Packers just have been neglecting supporting Aaron Rodgers for too long. Yeah, and I'm happy that they are, honestly, <laughs> as a Chicago Bears fan. Let's not give them as, let's give them as little support as, as they can. It's not looking good for them going into the future, man. They just lost to the Commanders and to the Jets. And they have to play the Buffalo Bills this Sunday night. That's almost a definite loss. They're minus 10.5 right now in betting odds. The largest by Aaron Rodgers ever in his career. Wow. It's going to be interesting to see if Aaron Rodgers can prove anyone wrong in that game. I don't think he will personally. The game is in Buffalo as well. It's going to be a very tough game. Buffalo Bills are my Super Bowl favorites right now at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Let's go on to another team that seems to be slipping a little bit. Ha- came into the season with high expectations. Okay. It's going to be the Denver Broncos, led by head coach Nathaniel Hackett and quarterback Russell Wilson, both under extreme fire right now. Two and five, the team is. Most fans were hoping for the opposite, five and two or something like that at this point in time. The defense still looks really good, though. I- I believe they're whole, they're allowing the third most points allowed, or third least points, I should say, at 16.78 a game or something like that. So the defense is nothing really too much to blame, but Nathaniel Hackett, this offensive guru coming from the Green Bay Packers this last, last offseason, their former offensive coordinator, was supposed to be this guy that's supposed to come in and put this awesome game plan around Russell Wilson. They have the pieces around Jerry Judy, Corlin Sutton. The run game looked good but it's just not coming together at this point in time. Najee, what do you think about this Denver team? Uh, so for the Broncos, I, I think coming to the season, you know, a lot of people had expectations for them because they traded away, you know, a lot of, you know, of their mortgage to get like a Russell Wilson, to get, you know, a former Super Bowl winning quarterback, to get like one of the most accurate quarterbacks throughout the NFL in the past, I would say, five years. So I think, you know, this season, it's kind of been disappointing, you know, and I think it all has to stem from, 
you know, the injuries as well as, you know, the inconsistency from the offense, you know. And, um, and you know, as you were saying, you know, they have the talent, you know. They have Jerry Judy. They have Cortland Southern. They have, you know, this formula for, like, a high-scoring offense. And plus, you know, they have a great defense. They have Bradley Chubb. And they have, you know, uh, Jeffrey Simmons. Simmons. Yeah, yep, Justin Simmons. You know. And uh, I, What's the corner's name? <laughs> Patrick Sutain, they got uh, Mathis. That boy's been looking really good coming out of the draft this year. Oof, man, their defense looks amazing. Yeah, and I think, you know, their defense, now their defense isn't the problem. You know, they've held opponents to, like, 17 points per game, you know, and they've, you know, been able to, you know, control those offenses. And, you know, I think the theme has been, you know, the defense is good, but what about the offense? And I think, you know, like the offense has been like the main like focal point of you know concern and i think uh you know the seahawks they may they may you know be the winners of this trade you know between the seahawks and broncos you know and i think the broncos are experiencing buyer's remorse right here because you know they were expect <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah they were expecting you know russell wilson to come in and you know be the quarterback that would take them over the top so that they could compete with the chiefs and the chargers and the bills and you know win a super bowl so i think this might be like signs of the buyer's remorse like i don't like have any like lost hope or anything but i think you know they need to you know get something you know started they need to you know get on the same page russell wilson needs to you know i'm not knocking him as a leader but he needs to you know get healthy, you know, he needs to, you know, be like a more vocal leader, not saying like he's a bad leader or anything, but he needs to be a more vocal leader. And hopefully, you know, once he's recovered from this hamstring, you know, things can get back on the right track. And as you were saying, National Hackett, he was brought in to be, you know, the head coach that would, you know, build this offense, you know, into like the offense that would compete with Patrick Holmes and the Chiefs and compete with Josh Allen and the Bills. So. I feel that, you know, maybe need, they need to start reevaluating, you know, National Hackett and, you know, see if he's the right coach for this team. And I, yeah, but I, I don't like having any lost hope. I think they could, you know, get something, you know, together. And I think that they could possibly, you know, uh, if not, you know, be like one of those uh, teams in the, like, division divisional round I think they could like be in a wild card round I could see them as a wild card team they just need to you know pick up things you know quick or else you know it's not going to be too good of a season but we'll see I, I think I have hope definitely and where have we heard this before an offense led by Russell Wilson with great pieces around them and a coach that's somehow holding him back and somehow he yet still has a great defense, yet the record isn't matching. See, and the blame is going around to everyone see, else. Though better, I don't know about all of that, Dallas. Hold on, hold on though. The NFL's adapted. That finger injury that Russell Wilson had last year ha is affecting him. He, ha I don't know if you guys remember, but he had an injury where he, it was a finger doctor in the NFL said that it was the worst finger injury he ever seen in the NFL. Russell Wilson's literally come out, and last season he said he cannot hold the ball the same, no matter like as he did before. The accuracy issues that we're now seeing is not something out of nowhere. 
he literally can't grip the ball the same that he used to grip it. After 12 years in the league, having to all of a sudden change how you throw a football, that can't be easy. And then the NFL's also figured out, if Russell Wilson isn't throwing a, a sideline deep ball, he's throwing a five-yard slant or a five-yard out route. And believe me, I've watched that for a decade. It works when you have a great run game to complement that. But asking Russell Wilson to drop back and throw the ball 50 times was never his skill set. It was never his game. He was never asked to do that in Seattle. And there was a reason for that. The Broncos are going to learn, and Nathaniel Hackett needs to adjust. He's not the guy to throw 40, 50 times a game. He'll throw 30 times and be hyper-efficient with that. But we'll see. The age is catching up. He's not the same elusive threat he once was. That part of his game is absolutely gone. He's now a strict pocket passer, yet the pocket passing isn't to that level yet. Or to that level anymore. But we'll see if he'll get it back. I do kind of disagree a little bit that his scrambling days are over. I still believe he has really good pocket awareness. Pocket awareness, yeah. His pocket awareness is good. You know, if he needs to, he can scramble out. And hopefully, he used to be, in my opinion, the best quarterback on the run. Um, outside the pocket, at least making throws, I should say, outside the pocket. That's why I remember him all the time in Seattle. Y'all running play-action passes, having him outside, really. Running running outside the pocket. Running running outside the pocket and able to still able to find who he needs to pretty quick and with good accuracy. And if it wasn't outside the pocket, he was throwing that ball 60 yards down the field. So when did he have this injury? It was middle of last year? La- last year. That's why he was sitting out. He sat out um, when Geno came in for the three-game stint last year. That's why he was sitting out was the finger injury. And that was, like, later in the season? That was around... I think that was around from week seven to, like, week ten around that area of the season. So he could still be healing from that injury. I think, personally, the biggest problem with this team is Nathaniel Hackett, though. I think the game plan he's put forth so far hasn't looked good enough. I think when their O-line is is supposed to be really good. And I think a lot of the times O-line in this league is depending on coaching. You know, it depends on schemes, how you're putting these guys in positions. You know, not just having straightforward offense not giving the defense really much to think about, you know. I'm trying to see some guards pulling, you know. I'm trying to see some action in the O-line. I don't think Nathaniel Hackett has really put a good game plan together. He's done some very questionable things in these games. I mean, game one. Game one. Game oh one, oh, most care. questionable we, call ever. How do we not talk about that? Yeah. Um, you kick it instead of giving it to your brand-new quarterback. 61 yards in Seattle, and I don't know if fans know this, but kicking a ball in – Wet, outdoor weather. In outdoor weather with wet a wet area like Seattle right next to the water. Windy. Windy. That's not happening. <laughs> 61 yards in going against the wind. You go for it with your brand new quarterback. You just paid him 250 and, million. Two? 250 million. Eight years. You're dealing with this for eight years. It's pretty bad. It was pretty bad. So the Broncos have a lot to look forward to this season, it looks like. But if you're... If you're a fan, don't think about this year too much. You signed him for five years. So why not just think about next year? Mm-hmm. Hopefully get another coach. But I think one of the hardest things probably behind getting a good quarterback in this league is finding a, a really good coach. It's a pain. Honestly, it's, it's really hard. And the Denver Broncos is looking like at this point in time we're going to be in a head coaching search this next season because God knows that they can't get rid of their quarterback. 
I think that's the hardest part is it's not even a head coach, right? You can get a great head coach, but they need a fit, like pair with them, right? And I I think I think that there's someone out there. Yeah, you know, there's someone out there. There's someone that can make Daniel Jones look good. There's someone that can make <laughs> Russell Wilson look good, you know? And that's like I'm not even joking, like actually, like that's real. Yeah, like Brian Dayball's doing his thing right now and someone could do their thing with Russell Wilson. That's he's real. coach of the year. Mm-hmm. That for me, definitely. But we'll be back in a couple minutes with Dallas's real life example. And to talk about the World Series, but Najee, thank you for having for being a part of the show. Yep, you're welcome. Yep, I enjoyed it. Hopefully, you come back next week. You already know you're always welcome. Yep. But as I said, we'll be back to be talking about some World Series and Dallas's real life. Stay tuned. We were talking a good amount this past segment about NFL football here on Double Double Radio Show on KLJX LP Flagstaff here in the MIC, but. There's another NFC West team. We just talked about my team, Seattle, but Najee just left. But I'm going to have to talk about the San Francisco 49ers, which is his team. Now, the San Francisco 49ers are a team that just went to the Super Bowl. They're a team that has a lot of great pieces to it. But there are some things that they need to fix. A lot of times, like when you're trying to fix up your house or fix up a house. Now, if you're not too familiar with what's going on in the sports world, San Francisco, as we talked about a little bit earlier, did a blockbuster trade this week, trading a second, third, fourth, and next year's fifth-round pick for Christian McCaffrey. In football terms, that's a lot. If you're trying to fix up your house, it's a lot of money. Now, John Lynch, their general manager, is the person tasked with fixing up this house. You just went to the Super Bowl with your dominant running game, dominant offensive line that's your kitchen the heart and soul of the team nothing happens without that your team is sputtering now in the season following your replacement for your Super Bowl starting quarterback got injured in Trey Lance now your old quarterback is in in Jimmy Garoppolo and it's not looking any much not looking much better there's a weakness in the foundation of this house. There's cracks in the concrete below. But remember, you're a general manager. You're on a budget. You don't got much pieces. You don't got much time. When you're fixing up a house, you're fighting against money. When you're a general manager of an NFL team, you're fighting against money and time. Now the offensive line that was once dominant isn't as dominant as it once was. You got some plumbing issues right there. There's some plumbing issues going on. They need some improvement. You could even say they need some help at receiver, aside from Debo. Maybe there's that's some like some holes in the drywall in the bedroom. As you can see, there's there's a lot of stuff that they can fix that's are really needing fixing 
But instead, John Lynch, with all these foundational issues, plumbing issues on this team with the O-line, the running game, not as dominant. Maybe you could help with the receiver. Trading for McCaffrey is like adding LED lights to your kitchen with all those problems. And paying about two grand for them. You already have the nice kitchen. You already had that running game. There's no need for additional money spent over there or designs to make that better. There's cracks in your house that might end up making you fall over. But you chose not to fix that. We'll see where will this takes them. And we'll see if this was a move that John Lynch... We'll see if he loves it. Maybe this gets them to somewhere they've never been in a while. Maybe winning a Super Bowl. Or maybe he will regret this. And the house will fall over in a couple of years. Now... Dallas, love the analysis, love the take, definitely relatable. Think about my house and the uptake that it, that goes into that, you know. You really got to start with the foundation a lot of times, and is this really the foundation? You know, it's hard to question if it is or if it isn't. Christian McCaffrey can be someone you can build around, you know, have a solid squad, but you do have, already have a solid squad. And I think there's more priorities on the table, like, focusing on your defense at this point in time. Defensive line looks pretty good. But there's some other parts around there that could that could use some addressing, some secondary help. I don't know how long Warner's going to be there. He's one of the best line, middle linebackers in the league, though. So that's a good piece as well. Christian McCaffrey, though. Christian McCaffrey, someone that's so injury-prone. You're not giving up a first round, but you're giving up close to it combined with the second, third, and a fourth, you know? With the draft chart that NFL teams use to, like, use their equivalent of picks, it actually equivalented a first-round pick. Yeah. So, that's a lot to give up for a man like that. A running back. A running back, who I love. I love Christian McCaffrey. I think he's a great player. It's going to be difficult, but I think time will tell. I think this team is gritty, and I think someone like Christian could add to that piece of the puzzle, so... John Lynch, you know, maybe he's sitting back. I think he's done a good job so far as being GM with this team. They've made good draft selections. A lot of it is homegrown, too, at the end of the day. Trey Lance seems to be one of the one they might be regretting right now out of most of those draft selections that high. <laughs> Quarterback might be Shanahan's, like, one, like, his one, like, what is that, weakness in his scouting. Like, he... It just might be his one thing he's not good at scouting. Everything else, they seem to always find the, the piece that fits them. Quarterback is the hardest piece to find. We'll be back in a couple minutes to be talking about the World Series. Y'all stay tuned with me and Dallas. Welcome back to KLJX LP Flagstaff. This is your sports radio show on Wednesday nights, the Double Double, back with your co-hosts, Dallas Cooper and Gabriel Dixon. And we just got done with my real-life example. We had a lot to talk about about NBA and NFL this week. But we haven't talked about maybe the biggest thing this coming this couple weeks. And it's the World Series. We have the 106-win Houston Astros, who was the top seed in the American League, trying to fight for their perfect postseason record against the 87-win Phillies. This... This game is 
kind of a paradox between two different stages of teams. Got the Astros who are the powerhouse expected to be here. They've been here for a while, the past five years. We all know the Astros, all know who the Astros have done. But the Phillies, this is some magic. We've been, is this something like the Braves last year, Gabe? Seems like whenever Philly wins, it has to be magical, you know? Oh. Something special. Like when the Eagles won, no one saw that one really coming, especially when the quarterback went down. But I don't think it's going to be like that. I think that this Houston Astros team is loaded as far as their pitching staff. It's crazy. As far as their hitters, oh, man. They, got, they just got people everywhere on this team. You know, the pitching staff, you got Justin Verlander, you know, a veteran in this league. Or in that league, I should say. You got Frambler, Valdez, Jose Uruquity. Three guys who I think are just straight-up aces in this league who look really good. Even got people like Christian um, Javier who look really well. And then even closers, Ryan Presley, Ryan Stanek. Really good people. People that you can rely upon for four games, seven games, you know, really to come through for you. And I just don't know if Philadelphia has those guys, really, especially in the pitching staff, Aaron Nola. Probably their best guy, but he hasn't really looked at this year. He has a 3.25 ERA. He's looked decent this postseason, but I think when you're going to go against a team like a Houston Astros that are going to have hitters like Jordan Alvarez, Kyle Tucker, um, Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, Jeremy Pena, you know, guys that – our home run hitters any given at bat, you know, really scary. And the Philadelphia Phillies, that's where they can still keep up and maybe even be better, especially on little streaks. You know, you got JT Realmuto, Bryce Hoskins, Kyle Schwarber, Bryce Harper, Nicholas Castellanos, all of these guys. Man, it's going to be an exciting World Series to watch. I just don't know if – I just don't know if Philadelphia Phillies – pitching staff can keep up or hold hold down I should say the Houston Astros as much as I believe the Astros will be able to hold down the Philadelphia Phillies hitting I th- interesting thing to me is just the Phillies have an interesting advantage in the sense of their left-handed lineup with Schwarber and Harper that's two extraordinary hitters power hitters that are gonna rake especially if it's against some weaker right-handed pitching but the Astros do have a dominant pitching staff and this is one of those things where it's just one of those things where who's gonna come up to play Justin Verlander earlier in the postseason had a couple of struggles I gave up around I think five runs to the Mariners in the first series that was earlier in the postseason he could have been shaking off rust He's getting old, too. Getting older, yeah. And the Phillies are a dangerous team. So, uh, before we close this off, Gabe, who do, who do you have winning this World Series? Uh, I think you know who I'm going with. I'm going to go with the Houston Astros. Those cheaters are going to win in six. Six? Ooh. I have to, not to spoil it, man. I got Bryce Harper winning in the walk-off on seven, man. Man, either way, man, I wish it goes your way because then we're going to see a, a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic World Series. You're going to see the city of Philadelphia partially burned like we always do whenever they win <laughs> something. 
They but can't it's going to be an exciting moment. It's going to be an exciting moment in time. Oh, absolutely. This World Series is an exciting matchup. We got the last-seeded team versus the top-seeded team. Let's see who you guys want, the underdog or the powerhouse. It's very simple. Well, that's it for our Wednesday night show on Double Double with KLJX LP Flagstaff with your co-host Dallas Cooper and Gabriel Dixon. We'll be on... We'll be back next week. Take it easy, y'all. Take it easy.